Well, I'm going to start here today with the 62nd Psalm. This is to the chief musician, to Jedithan, a Psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down on his, from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait silently for God alone, my, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you peoples. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. Heavenly Father, Thank you so very much for again allowing us to come out here and uh, withholding the rain. Uh, we have Isaac, who was here two weeks ago, has turned right around and come back towards us. And uh, we just thank you that so far there's no rain here. But should it rain, uh, may the time that we have together just bring glory and honor to you. And we ask that you look favorably upon the words that are said today and that you will be pleased with them. And be with each person here as they uh, uh, attend this service and uh, uh, just may there be something that they hear that will bless them as well. We thank you and we praise you. All glory, all power, all honor and majesty, they belong to you because you're a great and loving God. Thank you for the gift of Jesus our Lord and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Alright, couple uh, announcements as I say every week. Baptism is always an option. We got water here and we've got uh, a bathing suit in the uh, bag over there so I can get changed in just a couple of seconds and if anybody wants to be baptized according to the Bible uh, we I'll, I'll do that for you any day of the week anytime if you want to come to my house we can go on the bay right out back and I'll baptize you there um, Paul and Elaine are missionaries to Japan I'd like to keep them in prayer I have not heard from them this week I don't believe maybe early in the week but uh, they are doing well I know the last time I heard heard from them and uh, I'm sure that uh, their uh, time there is really being a blessing to the people around them. So keep them in prayer as well. Uh, I'd like to remind you that in the upcoming elections, the platform of the Democrat Party this year is uh, pro-abortion and it's also pro-homosexual, something that I'm going to speak about here in just a few minutes. And uh, if you vote for somebody that is a Democrat who is ascribed to this platform, then you are implicitly supporting their abortion or homosexual stance. So I'd like you to keep that in mind. I'm not here to endorse any other party, but to me it would be better to withhold a vote than to vote for a Democrat at this point in American history. And um, I have some flyers over here if anybody wants um, one of the Church on the Beach flyers. And uh, please hand those out to anybody that uh, may be interested in coming. September 11th is this week, uh, the memorial of uh, 9 as we call it. That was 11 years ago Tuesday. And this... Tuesday in Patriot Park down in Venice from 1 o'clock until 11 o'clock at night they are going to have people preaching they're going to have people uh, they're just going to have hour sections of people coming to uh, uh, you know to uh, proclaim the word of the Lord I will be preaching today's sermon again down at Patriot Park at 3 p.m. and so uh, just something that if you don't get enough of today and you just need more punishment well then uh, please come down and if not if you know somebody in Venice that needs a, a sermon on Sunday or Tuesday afternoon that's where I'll be preaching the same sermon at Patriot Park and um, as I said that'll be at three o'clock that's all the announcements that we have today other than to say that I am going to skip the New Testament reading today I'll read one more psalm and then we'll get into the sermon and the reason why I'm going to do that is because as I said Isaac is on its way. Um, there's a lot of heavy rain north of us, but uh, it looks like we may escape that, but we may not. 
And so in order to save time and hopefully be out of here before any rains that will come this afternoon, um, I'm going to skip a New Testament reading. So I'm going to go ahead and get directly into our second psalm of the day, and uh, then we'll get into our sermon, and we'll be uh, out of here hopefully before the rain comes. Our second psalm is the psalm following the one that I just read, which is the 63rd psalm. And this is uh, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God, early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night, in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of, the, of those who speak lies shall be stopped. The word of the Lord. As I said, it's a little bit windy out here. We have a storm coming. And uh, so I hope that the audio for the video will be okay. If it's not, then I'm going to have to redo this sermon. I hope everybody here can hear me. If not, just uh, make an, a motion for me to speak up. And uh, unfortunately, I'm sure my hair and my beard is all over the place. But that's something I can't help. But uh, we'll go ahead and get into this day in history. Today is 9 September. And on this day, 9 September in 490 BC, the Battle of Marathon took place between the Persians and the Athenians. And because of the Battle of Marathon, we have today what is called the Modern Marathon. And it is in honor of a guy named Pheidippides. He acted as a courier from the battlefront back to the uh, people in Athens. And he ran as quickly as he could as the battle was ending. I, I believe it was 26 miles, and that's why they uh, have a 26-mile marathon. Whatever it was, it was an immense distance. And uh, he got back to the magistrates who were right in session at the time, and they were anxious about hearing about the battle. He came up to him. He said, joy to you. We have won. And he died right then. And because of that, Marathon is named after his uh, noble deed in carrying this message back to the people in the, uh, that were in session, these magistrates. Then in 1776, the Second Continental Congress officially made the term United States, replacing the previous term, which was the United Colonies. And obviously, the reason why we did that is because we were no longer colonies of Britain. We wanted to get away from the socialist and uh, uh, monarch monarchical systems of Europe so we came over here, we wanted to establish a place where we could be free from those things. Eventually came the Revolutionary War. And uh, now we have a president that is trying to lead us right back into those things. He's trying to get us to go to European socialism or maybe uh, uh, Russian communism. I'm not quite sure what his end goal is, but it certainly is not for the good of the United States of America. But that's what happened on uh, 9 September in 1776. And then in 1836, Abraham Lincoln received his license to practice law. In 1850, California became the 31st state to join the Union. And hopefully, they'll be the first state to leave the Union. They're obviously going bankrupt, and they'll take the nation down with us unless we cut them off. It's a very liberal state, and there are conservatives there, but they're leaving by the truckload. And we can just let California have its own problems here shortly. And that's not to diminish anybody in California. It's just the way it is. It's a very liberal-leaning state, and it's sad how things are going there. In um, 1957, finally, the first civil rights bill to pass Congress since Reconstruction was signed into law. And guess what? It was by a Republican president, President uh, Eisenhower. And just so you know, something I was thinking about here this week is that Martin Luther King Jr., this great uh, champion of the civil rights movement, you may or may not know this, but uh, I say this from time to time, that he was a Republican. He was a vowed Republican, 
and uh, he was completely against the policies and the uh, uh, the progress that the uh, Democrat Party was uh, leaning towards. And his daughter today is a strong Republican. They wanted nothing to do with the Democrat Party, but somehow they have co-opted his name in the Democrat Party as if um, uh, you know they own it. And we can't even mention the guy's name when, in fact, he was a Republican, just as Abraham Lincoln was. He, you know, was the party of Lincoln. So keep those things in mind as far as our uh, government is concerned. And uh, we'll get right into our sermon. Looks like there's a little bit of rain north of us, but we'll try to be done in time to uh, get out of here before we get rained on. Just so you know, we're doing Genesis 18, verses 16 through 33, and this is called Proclaiming Righteousness. Sodom and Gomorrah are the Bible's prime example of ungodliness and of God's judgment on sin. And today we will look at events which are prior to the judgment on those cities. These events center on Abraham and his visit from the Lord. And we will see how our action or our lack of action as individuals can affect the society in which we live, even to the point that judgment of God is necessary. And I'm saying that because each one of us as individuals is responsible to such an extent that we may actually affect the entire society. Every one of us who is a saved believer in Jesus Christ has responsibilities to the people around us. Abraham exercises his responsibility by petitioning the Lord on behalf of his people. And we will look into what Lot may or may not have done in order to fulfill his responsibility as a member of the society in which he lived. Only in the weeks to come are we going to find out if he actually fulfilled those duties or if he failed in those duties. That brings us to our text verse today, which is from the 96th Psalm, it's verses 11 through 13. It says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The Lord is the judge of all the earth, and when he judges, it is in absolute righteousness. The Bible proclaims that despite being a loving creator, and we all know he is, he is also holy and he will not look favorably upon the sins of the people. Let us understand this and let us remember to view sin for what it is. It is a violation against his perfect nature. And so may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. All right, our first thought today is an outcry against sin. Now, before we look at today's verses, we should consider what leads up to them. So what we're gonna do is real quickly, we're gonna review when Sodom and Gomorrah are first brought into focus and how Lot ended up being there. This will take just a second. It's Genesis 13, verses 5 through 9, and then verses 12 and 13. Lot also, who went with Avram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful before the Lord. Later, we come to chapter 14. We have the four kings of the east who engaged the five kings around Sodom in battle, and they took Lot captive. Abraham followed after those kings. He defeated them. He rescued Lot and brought him back to Sodom with all of their goods. After that time, Sodom is not mentioned again until today's verses. Everything else is dealt with Abraham in one way or another. In the first verses of chapter 18, which we looked at last week, the Lord appeared with two others and they ate at Abraham's tent and then the Lord confirmed what he had already been told. 
that Sarah would have a son and he would be born within the next year. Now that this meeting has ended, we come to today's verses. And we're going to start with verse 16 of chapter 18. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. The meal is done and the promise of a son in the coming year is behind them. Sarah laughed about it. If you remember last week, she kind of mocked about it. And after that, she was caught in a lie by denying that she laughed. All of this was to show us that nothing is outside of the power of God and nothing is hidden from God. This is important to understand because of what lies ahead in these coming verses. By coming to Abraham before going to Sodom, the account is placed in the Bible chronologically and it allows us to understand more clearly the somewhat confusing things which lie ahead in this chapter. Now, as these men rise, it says that they looked toward Sodom. This is stated to show us that judgment was coming to Sodom. And Abraham would know that just by the fact that they're standing up and they're looking in that particular direction. The very last words that were spoken about Sodom in chapter 13, which I just read you, were, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful before the Lord. Because of their wickedness, and because of the fact that they were not wiped out by the invading armies in chapter 14, the Lord is now going to have to act personally. What is not accomplished by the hands of man in battle will now be tended to by the Lord. This is an indictment on all sin in all societies and at all times. Man has been given the authority to judge the affairs of each nation. And when those affairs are handled properly, the nation purges its sin and remains free from the Lord's destructive judgment. However, when a nation fails to prosecute and to sentence wickedness, the Lord is going to step in. This was true with Israel. It was true with the nations that are in existence today. And it will be the case with the one world government, which is coming. If we as human beings do not judge sin, God will. As proof of this, America has tasted judgment in several ways in the recent years. We've tasted judgment financially. We've had it through terrorism. And yes, September 11th is coming in two days, and I believe that terrorism was allowed by God to judge us. Yes, Muslims did it, but God allowed it to happen. We've been judged through famine. That's happening all over America this year. We've been judged by plague. We've been judged by natural disaster. But we have failed to humble our hearts and to prosecute the sins of the people. Paying attention to what lies ahead for Sodom will allow us to see the result of the same sins right here in America. What are they going to be? Just pay attention. Verse 16 continues, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Now this is kind of an unwritten rule of humanity, which is found in people all over the world. I've lived in countries all over the place and I can tell you everybody does this. Abraham went along with these three as they headed off. Now we do this for a number of reasons. We may want to make sure that people are heading on the right road. Obviously that's not the case. God created the world. He knows exactly where Sodom is and he knows where he's heading to. But Abraham accompanied him. So maybe uh, he went to extend the visit as long as possible, like the Ephesians did with Paul when he was leaving for the last time in Acts chapter 20. Here's what it says. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Then they all uh, kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Another reason that we may extend a visit like this is we may have things we want to show along the way, such as these are my flocks. As a matter of fact, the meal you ate last week is, came from that little flock right over there. Or maybe there's a, a beautiful spring of water on the other side of that hill. And I'm wondering, is that where Hagar got the word that she would have Ishmael? So Abraham may be asking these questions as they go along. A fourth reason to extend a visit is we may want to be a part of what is coming and not be left out. This happened to Peter when he was going to the house of Cornelius, as recorded in Acts chapter 10. Peter was in Joppa, and some of the people that he was staying with came along with him so that they could see and be witnesses to what was going to happen. Here's what it says. On the next day, Peter went with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
And a fifth reason we may do this is a sign of respect for people. In the little, little book at the very end of the Bible, and I think it's the third to the last book from the end, is the book of 3 John. And he writes these words about sending off missionaries. He says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward in a journey in a man, on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that they may become fellow workers for the truth. In this universal tradition of sending others off, and for whatever reason, Abraham went along with these three as they departed. And that brings us to verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, although this is stated in the form of a question, the Lord saying, shall I hide? It is meant in the form of an affirmative statement. I shall not hide. This type of question is found throughout the entire Bible and it is commonly spoken by us even here today. All over America, we ask these questions when we mean something affirmatively. This is a rhetorical question, and it is a way of getting us to think through the matter at hand. Amos, in his book of the Minor Prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, asks a great set of these rhetorical questions. Here's what he asks. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? The answer is no. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? The answer is no. He's going to scare him away if he does. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Well, he probably won't because he has nothing to, to cry over. Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Again, the answer is no. Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? Again, the answer is no. And then he asks two more. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? And the answer is yes. A trumpet was blown to alert the city that judgment or that an army was coming against them. And he finally asks, if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And the answer is yes. And that's why, despite what anybody else says about 9-11 in America, it was the Lord that did it. Whether he did it passively by holding his hands up and saying, I'm going to allow these Muslim terrorists to destroy the uh, Twin Towers, or whether he does it actively through famine and plague. The Lord has done it. The question is rhetorical. The answer to each of Amos's questions is obvious. After asking them, Amos follows up with another thought which completely and fully explains the Lord's intent to tell Abraham. Here's what he says. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Everything that's going to happen in human history is revealed in the Bible. That doesn't mean the details. That means what God is doing in human history. Abraham, in Two chapters from now, in Genesis chapter 20, is identified as a prophet of God. And so this is to be taken as a rhetorical question. Shall I hide means I shall not hide. He is, Abraham is in the line of the Messiah. He is going to become a great and mighty nation. All of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And so the Lord includes him in what is coming. And there are more reasons as well. We see these in verse 19. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The Lord personally chose Abraham to be the father of the people of God, both physically as the people of Israel and spiritually as everyone who is called on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It says we are Abraham's children by faith. By showing him what he is about to do, the Lord is instructing him, Abraham, in the severity of keeping the way of the Lord and in doing what is just and what is right. And he is going to use the destruction of Sodom and of Gomorrah as an object lesson of what it means to turn away from these things. It's going to be a permanent memorial concerning the punishments which come from violating the righteousness of God. And so we need to pay attention to these because this nation is full of it right now. And it will also serve as an eternal reminder to God's people about the fate of those who are ungodly. 
It's been 25 years since Abraham entered Canaan and the people of Sodom were already there and they were already known for their wickedness at that time. He was told earlier, Abraham was, that he could not possess the land of Canaan because the wickedness of the Amorites, which is an entirely different group of people, had not yet reached its full measure and that it wouldn't happen for 430 years. However, the destruction of Sodom was coming because it had. God's patience with this particular group of people had met its end. Now, two things are happening at once here. The first is revealing his intended actions to an upright person, and at the exact same time, he is showing him why he is taking these actions in the first place. This two-edged sword is noted perfectly in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. It's the 32nd verse. Listen to what it says. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. Think of Sodom. But his secret counsel is with the upright. Think of Abraham. Say it again. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. Think of the left in our nation and the things that they're doing right now. But his secret counsel is with the upright. Think of the people in this nation that go to church on Sunday morning, that read their Bible, that love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart, and they have his secret counsel right in the pages of the Holy Bible. Again, in the book of Hosea, at the time prior to the exile of Israel, the Lord reminds his people about these things and hope that they will remember, believe, and repent. Here's what he says. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. What is the sin of Sodom? I got to tell you what, pretty much everyone on earth will agree what the sin of Sodom is with the exception of Sodomites. But the Bible is very clear on it. We'll look at it in detail next week when we get to the next chapter. But yes, it is centered on homosexuality and on sexual perversion, which is a crime against the natural order that God intended for his creatures. It also involves, according to the book of Ezekiel, gluttony, laziness, and an unwillingness to help others in need. These are the grave sins for which the outcry is made. And if you do not see America written all over these sins, then I gotta tell you what, you are not opening your eyes and looking. Day after day after day, for years, porn has been the number one search on internet search engines around the world, but particularly in America. Our president, and approximately one half of our nation's leaders, represented by the Democrat Party, openly support the gay agenda and it has become a party platform issue in the 2012 elections. They have sent openly homosexual members to Congress and they have flaunted their perversion in daylight. Just think of Barney Frank and all the wicked things that that guy does, I mean in open. And if a Republican senator kisses a person on her cheek, the Republicans kick him out. But if one of these perverse people on the left does something like this, they just applaud him and cheer him on. They're demanding these same rights now for our military. They're demanding that they be taught in our schools. And they are leading us to the sure and the complete destruction, which we rightly deserve for closing our eyes and electing these vulgar and perverse people with their twisted agenda. We become gluttonous and fatness nation, and our appetite has become unrestrained. Instead of moderation, we look to pills to take away pounds. Instead of work to keep healthy, we go to doctors for more pills, and we pay for those pills with our welfare checks. And not helping others in need, we have killed the unborn to the tune of 50 million. That is more than all the human beings ever killed by war in human history and we turn a blind eye to it and we elect people that support this perverse issue. We've elected a president who once voted in favor of legalizing infanticide by voting to protect doctors who kill babies who survive the abortion process. What is coming upon Sodom will be coming upon America and I'm telling you, it will be coming very soon, unless we repent of our ways. The Bible says that which is, will be. That which is done, will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. 
we are heading right into the same destructive force, and I mean with a capital F, which met with and destroyed Sodom. Yes, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great. How much more is it crying out against us in this land that has a Bible in every single home? Even atheists have a Bible, and there's a church on every corner. With great knowledge comes great responsibility, and I assure you, comes great judgment. Verse 21. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come against me. And if not, I will know. We read an interesting parallel way back in chapter 11 of Genesis at the time of the Tower of Babel. Here's what it said. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord is again descending to the level of man to test and see the situation. It is as if he is stepping off his throne right in the presence of Abraham to make his determination. And this has nothing to do with whether he already knew of the situation at Sodom or not. He did. This act of justice, him saying, I'm going down now, is for the sake of Abraham. And it is a lesson and an instruction for the judges of all times in the future. We are to personally inspect a situation to determine a matter before we execute judgment and not go by word alone. The Lord has set right here in this verse the example in judicial proceedings. And that brings us to our second thought of the day, which is the, the judge of all the earth. Verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? The result of what is coming is inevitable, and Abraham seems to know it. The two men with the Lord have turned already towards Sodom, and they will carry out the sentence. He's already been there, and he already knows the wickedness of the people. And so he came near to the Lord. And I got to tell you what, this verse here is a defining moment in the pages of the Bible, because it is the first hint of a prayer given to God in its pages. In the 73rd Psalm, we read this but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Abraham is drawing near to the Lord in order to petition him and to understand and to declare all of his works. There is only one hope in his heart and that is Lot's personal testimony. And we're not gonna know about it until we get to the next chapter, but by what Abraham says in the coming verses, we can guess that he already knows how Lot has been down there. Now he speaks to the Lord, Abraham, as if he was a freeborn son right in the house. He speaks openly and he speaks frankly, and he's gonna to continue to do so through this entire conversation. And yet he will do it with an air of humility. The book of Hebrews in the uh, fourth chapter says this, and I want you to listen. I'm gonna tell you what I think about this. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I have no problem at all with people quoting this and trusting in it. It is an admonition to each and every believer that we should have the confidence to enter the throne of God's grace in our time of need. But as I have said to people time and time and time again in the past, we need to be on our face when we get to that throne. One of the most appalling and arrogant things that I ever hear Christians say, and if somebody here has said it, I hope that you'll never say it again, are the two words, I claim. I claim something in Jesus' name, be it a Porsche. I claim that Porsche in Jesus' name. Or healing, I claim healing in Jesus' name. Be it financial help, I claim financial breakthrough in Jesus' name. Or maybe salvation for somebody, I claim salvation in Jesus' name. We have no right to claim anything in the name of the Lord unless the Bible says it. And the Bible never, never once claims anything in regard to these matters. Abraham's boldness right here is mixed with humility and it is the appropriate measure of how we are to conduct our affairs in the presence of the Lord. Let's watch as he speaks to his creator. Verse 24, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
there are actually five cities in the account that are around Sodom. It's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. There's five cities. I don't know if you remember that from the uh, battle that went in uh, chapter 14. Sodom and Gomorrah are simply noted because they are the principal cities of these five. And Sodom in particular is noted because that is where Lot is. Abraham is asking, could there be an average of 10 righteous per city when he says 50 people? If there are, he's reminding the Lord that destroying the cities would destroy the righteous with the wicked. This is a problem and a question that not only fills the entire Bible, but it also fills the minds of almost every person who has ever lived. Why do bad things happen to good people? It is something that Job deals with. It's something that Habakkuk deals with. It's something that Paul speaks about. It's struggled, it's debated the world over. And I wanna tell you something, there is a right view and there is a wrong view to God's justice. The wrong view says that there is a law which is governing fairness and it is higher than God. Here's God and here's the law over him. And therefore, this law is binding on God. In essence, he must respond to the law itself. When we believe this, we make our appeal to the law. And you see people do this on Facebook all the time. When you say something about righteousness and why something happens, they will say, well, that's not just and that's not right and God isn't acting fairly. They're making their appeal to the law. Our prayers too or our comments about God will often reflect this and this is wrong. The correct view is that God is the standard of justice. He is the creator and therefore he is before the creation and therefore anything about God simply is. It doesn't change. It doesn't increase. It doesn't decrease. His power is used in conjunction with his moral perfection. Therefore, whatever God does is fair, whether we understand it or not. When we see this, we make our appeal directly to him and not to the standard which stems from him or which, is, which he is somehow subordinate to. This is what Abraham has done. He has appealed directly to the creator, though he doesn't fully understand the situation. He knows what the source of righteousness is, and he acknowledges it accordingly. Non-Christians and confused Christians don't understand this concept, and therefore they blame God when adversity comes, or they blame God when tragedy comes, or they blame God when trouble comes. But the one who knows God and his character and his nature stands on the assurance that what occurs is perfectly just, and it is perfectly fair. Isaiah understood these things when he penned the first two verses of chapter 57 of the book that bears his name. Here's what he says. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. There is one thing that is lacking in Abraham's understanding of the pending judgment though. Apart from God and his imputed righteousness, meaning that God is calling me righteous, there's none righteous, no, not one. So Abraham may be making his plea based on a faulty premise. Man is fallen and he's inherently unrighteous and therefore whatever judgment falls on Sodom and Gomorrah is deserved. And that brings us to our third and final thought today, which is pondering Lot's witness. Now, I hope you're going to pay attention here, particularly to this last point, and I hope that you will see yourself and your own personal testimony all over it, either meeting the needs or, if you see that you don't, that you will endeavor to do so in the future. Pay attention here. Verse 26. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I am who... I am who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the, a lack of five? So he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Abraham is now facing a dilemma. He was counting on there being 50 righteous people there, but he already knew the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a morally bankrupt place, however, Lot had moved there, 
and he was a follower of the one true God. He had a large camp with many employees under him. And we know from the book of 2 Peter that Lot is a righteous man. So obviously he wasn't only a follower of the Lord, but he was also one to share the news about the Lord as well, right? He might have even convinced 49 people about the path of righteousness, but maybe not. Lord, I am dust and ashes, says Abraham. Let me speak once again. Now, just so you know, dust and ashes is a reference to two concepts about us as human beings. We are dust. The Creator took us out of the ground and He formed us out of the dust. Second, we are ashes. We are beings that are deserving of God's judgment in fire in the presence of pure holiness. From dust we came and to ashes we deserve to go. I am dust and ashes, but what if there are only 45? You see, he'd been around Lot long enough to know that he might not have told his sheep herders about the Lord. Lot was a busy guy, and as you know, sheep herders take their sheep and they go way, way out into the distance to look for gra grazing areas, okay? So Lot may have been too busy to go out and talk to each one of them as they're taking care of the sheep. And so he says, I better not count in those five sheep herders. So I'm gonna ask the number be lowered to 45. And the Lord agrees, I'm not gonna do it for 45. Verse 29, and he spoke to him yet again and he said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Abraham thinks it through again and he says to himself, huh, I never saw a lot talk to any of his camp's kitchen staff either. I don't think there is a single believer in the entire group. Lord, what if there's not 45, what if there's only 40? And the Lord agrees, not for 40. Then he said, verse 30, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham again scratches his beard and he says, huh, this is the fourth time I never saw Lot give one family sermon in the presence of his harvesting crew. In fact, all 10 of them cuss like the Dickens and they drink beer all night long. I better not trust in any of them either. Lord, what if there are only 30 instead of 40? And the Lord agrees, not for 30. Verse 31, and he said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Abraham is running out of employees under Lot. He's considered the she shepherds, the camp cooks, and the harvesters. Lot hasn't talked to any of them and he knows it. He has been a backslider since he moved down to Sodom over 20 year years ago. The last time that Abraham visited Lot's homestead, even the maids in the house were drinking and they were going out to all hours of the night. He'd come there and on Sunday morning, instead of being in church, the girls would be there sleeping off hangovers. Lord, what if there are only 20? And the Lord agrees, okay not for 20. Verse 32, then he said, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Well, he can't count in any of the hired staff and he's at 20. After thinking about it, if he hasn't talked to any of his staff at all, then he probably hasn't talked to any of his neighbors either. Lot has proved to be a major disappointment in his witness about Jesus Christ. This leaves only four people in the house, Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. The two daughters are set to be married. And Abraham knows that because he got the invitation in the mail just a little while ago. Lot would surely make sure that those two godly daughters married two godly men. That is six people. And those men would be godly, why? Because they were raised by godly parents. They would have raised them properly. They would have punished them when they did wrong. Yes, there must be four godly parents for those two godly boys to marry his two godly daughters. Lord, what if there are only 10? And the Lord agrees, not for 10. Six times Abraham pleads with the Lord and six times he sees the consequences of being a faithless witness for the Lord. Five cities stand in the face of destruction because one man failed to open his mouth and to speak out. And I hope each person here is gonna go home and look at the mirror and see Lot standing right next to them. I gotta tell you what, we are heading for judgment in this nation. And if we don't speak out, 
it is going to come and it is going to come very hard and it's going to be final it's going to be a final final determination on this land and i got to tell you what at this point in our nation's history i don't even know if our personal testimony is going to do any good the only thing we will be able to do is pull the people that we need out of the coming fire but we better get to work because it is coming soon are you willing personally to go to heaven well, the people that you know, your neighbors and the people you work with and all the others around you are destined for hell. I got to tell you what, there really is an eternal consequence for your lack of a witness. As the great Bible scholar of times past, Matthew Henry says, and he says it to each one of you, though sin is to be hated, sinners are to be pitied and prayed for. God delights not in their death, nor should we desire, but deprecate the woeful day. We need to witness and we need to pray now that these people are saved before that woeful day. Verse 33, so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. We have all the questions of the Lord in our hearts and almost every one of them is answered in the pages of the Bible. And when they're not, Abraham and others in the Bible are used as examples of how we are to interact with him and what is and is not appropriate when we deal with him. I claim salvation for those people in Sodom. I claim that destru destruction is going to be averted. I got to tell you what, never, don't ever claim anything again in the name of the Lord. You petition him, you ask him fervently, you pray about it. Abraham didn't claim and neither should we. Have a little humility when you speak to the Lord Jesus. Let's remember today's account and know that when things are troubling us, we do have a right to question the Lord about, his, about what is happening and how it's going to be handled. But in the end, we need to remember that he is God. He formed us out of the dust, and we are man that is formed out of the dust. Abraham never claimed diddly from the Lord, but he trusted that what the Lord determined was ultimately right, and it was ultimately just. His decisions concerning a matter are infinitely wiser than ours. And our hopes about a matter should rest in his decisions and in his counsel as a just and righteous judge. If anyone here has never understood the need for Jesus as our judge and as our mediator between God and man, give me two minutes to explain it to you. We are fallen. The Bible proclaims that we're created and there's no doubt about it. And we sinned against God, and when we did, we separated ourselves from God. Infinitely separated from an infinitely pure and holy creator. And what Jesus Christ did is he came in the form of a man, and he lived a life that we cannot live. And he never violated God's holy standards. He never broke any of God's laws. And then he gave his life up on the cross as a substitution for us. Our sins are nailed to the cross and his righteousness is imputed or given to us by God. It's a trade. And when that trade is made, it can never be taken away from us. We are saved eternally by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we can displease God. Yes, we can lose our joy, but we can never lose our salvation. It can't happen. So please, if you've never called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would ask that you do it today. The day of destruction is coming, and when it comes, it is gonna be swift, and it is going to be final. Now, I want to tell you before I get into our final thing of the week, that next week, I'm going to talk about Genesis 19, verses 1 through 11. This is entitled, Destruction is Coming, Shadows of the Rapture. So I'd like you to read those 11 verses, and I'd like to see if you can find the rapture prefigured in those verses. And then we'll talk about it, and I think it'll be very surprising to you. Here's our final thing of... Uh, the day, which is a poem that I've written on these particular uh, verses, it's called The Outcry Against Wickedness. The men rose and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord determined to reveal his intentions to him, even if Abraham in this would find dismay. I have known him and instructed him in the life to lead, and this pertains to his descendants too. They shall keep the way of the Lord surely and indeed to do righteousness and justice all the generations through. And the Lord said, because the outcry is so great and because their sin is very grave, I go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. I will not hesitate to see whether the rumor is true 
of how they misbehave. Then the men turned and went toward this task so grim, but Abraham stood still before the Lord, waiting to talk to him. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked also? I am sure this won't occur. Tell me it's not so. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for them? Far be it for you to do such a thing. It cannot be destroying the righteous with the wicked like tearing a cloth with one hem. Far be it from you. It can't be so in my sight. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's just and do what's right? So the Lord said, if for 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the place. For their sakes, I will show pity. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I, who am but dust and ashes, have spoken to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than fifty somehow. Would you destroy all for lack of five? Tell me your word. So he said, If I find there forty-five, the people of the city will remain alive. And Abraham spoke yet again, and this he said, Suppose there should be forty found there. What will you do? I will not do it for the sake of 40. Instead, I have spoken and you know my word is true. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose there should be only 30 found there. I will not do it if I find 30, though the number is quite weak. Abraham, I can see how much you care. Indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose that only 20 should be found there. I won't destroy for the sake of 20. Thus you have my word, but this number is getting pretty low. It will end just where? Then he said, let the Lord not be angry. Let the Lord show kindness and favor to me. I will speak again, but it will be only once more. I have already spoken so many times before. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. For 10 righteous cities, souls, the city I will spare. Yes, I will do it for them. Abraham, I'm glad you asked again. So the Lord went his way after speaking, and Abraham returned to his place. His curiosity was certainly peaking. What would befall the cities that lay south of his place? If you wonder about how the Lord deals with us, he is righteous and he is also just. To save us from sure destruction, he sent us Jesus. Yes, he is completely fair. In this, all souls can trust. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, yes, you are just and you are righteous. And your judgment upon Sodom was deserved. Your judgment upon all sin is deserved. And we here in America are facing the precipice. We're standing at the edge and we are looking at the sure judgment from your hand. I have no doubt about it. And all we can do is beg you to, in wrath, have mercy. Have mercy on the work of your hands and the people you have created. And help them to understand that the judgment is because they deserve it. And not because you don't love them, but because you want them to repent and turn back to you. And turn the hearts of this nation back to you so that it can once again be a light, a shining light on a hill, and a city that people will stream to for righteousness and justice in this earth. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for every good thing you've done for us. Especially, I thank you right now for holding off the rain during our sermon. Please help each person here to get home safely and to have a, a blessed week ahead and reflect on the memories of 9-11 and the consequences of not responding to it as a nation. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.